Hello and welcome film buffs. I'm Hunter Van Lierup and I'm joined by my co-host and fellow Cinevile, also spooky boy, Zach Droll. Hello, hello. <laughs> we are the box office losers. Each and every week we deep dive into the movie sphere to watch and review any and all films to ever grace the silver screen. This week we are concluding our Spooktober week, you know, weekly basis thing cuz November's next uh, next week. With Halloween, the yes. titular Halloween movie. <laughs> yeah, so uh, guys, uh, for our audio listeners, hopefully you're on a nice long car ride and, and stuck in traffic. For our YouTube listeners, grab a snack, grab a drink. It's going to be a long one. It seems like a doozy because I found a lot of notes, and not all of them were from Wikipedia, believe it or not. There was some that I got from like IMDb and some that I just know off the top of my head. Yeah, there's a lot of things that like if you... If you know, like, horror movie trivia, you can just talk about this movie as well. Yeah, I don't know that much, but I know a decent amount. And I'm also, this is my first time viewing this movie ever. Really? So, I've seen bits and pieces. Like, I know who Michael is. I know who Laurie is. I've seen the uh, bunch of the kills online. But, like, I never actually sat down and watched the entire movie as a whole. So, this was my first time watching the movie not on AMC or ABC Family when... Oh, so you got to see all the, uh... Well, yeah, you got to see it without the censorship. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah awesome. so this is like the first time I got to see. You got it. to see titties. And hey, <laughs> our our mid movie notes are are going to be hilarious this time. They're pretty good. I mean, I you haven't really done a lot of mid movie notes recently, so I'm glad that you got a you got to do a bunch here. Well, no, because like I I decided like um, it, it's it's a new segment for us, and I, I might as well just keep throwing in in, in shit and just talk about it. Yeah, whenever you got something, just write it in there. Yeah, like so. Do you want to uh, go over the overview? Yes. Real quick? Okay. And you know, like I only had a couple hours of sleep, and it's uh, two o'clock in the afternoon. So bear with me, folks. <laughs> Halloween title on the screen as John Carpenter's Halloween is a 1978 American horror directed and scored by the great John Carpenter. Co-written and produced by Deborah Hill and starring Donald Pleasance and Jamie Lee Curtis in her film debut. Yeah, she Crazy. was uh, like 20 in this film when they started filming and came out, I think. Yeah, well, this is her film debut. I think she was in a couple TV shows before this, but this was an insane film debut yes. for her. Like, Jesus. Uh, the plot tells about a mental patient who was committed to a uh, satro... Sanitarium. Sanitarium, thank you, for murdering his teenage sister on Halloween uh, night when he has a when he was a six-year-old kid. Fifteen years later, it should be sixteen years later, uh, he escaped and returned to his hometown when he stalks a female babysitter and her friends. While under pursuit by the psychiatrist, the cast uh, consists of Pleasance as Dr. Loomis, uh, Curtis as Laurie Shrobe, the original Scream Queen, I wrote that in because I think she is the one of the yeah, original screen queens. She is. I, mean, I know Black Christmas came out before, but um, I feel like this is what really solidified like a screen queen yes. in my eyes. Uh, Nick uh, Castle as Michael, the, the the shape with Tony Morin being the unmasked version. PJ uh, Souls as Linda Van Dirk. Oh God, as Linda. <laughs> um, Nancy uh, Kells as uh, Annie as Annie and Charles Sipe as Sheriff. Uh, I'm just gonna call him Bracket. Uh, just do that. Do the last name. 
Uh, budget for the film was three hundred thousand dollars. In in today's standards, that's like a quarter of a million, or maybe even like like a hundred million. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very dirt cheap, but the quality was really good. You're right, and had a box office release of 60, 60 to seventy million. It made back its advertising and its production in full. Of like times five. Yeah. <laughs> it destroyed the box office when it came out. It was number one for months. I think it actually ran all the way until Christmas time. Yeah, like this movie was so... So also, I, I'm going to say this now. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in her prime, like during the filming of this and like other movies, she was a smoke show. She was very attractive in her, t- in her, in her young age. I think her uh, jawline was a little too manly, but she is definitely a very attractive actress. Yes. When I was watching it, I was like, she's hot, but like, <laughs> mm, she's not my type. You know what I mean? Well, I like a jawline on a girl, she, but not like a strong she, jawline. I just like a jawline. As know? she got the older, she, she aged like fine wine. Yeah, she looks good now. Uh, Yeah, uh, I, I... I don't like her hair in age 20, though. Her hair is bad in age 20. <laughs> Just I like, like Courtney Cox's cuts. hair is terrible on Scream 3. I like the bob cuts, man. Yeah, it was just too short for me. Uh, like, bob cuts are nice, but when it's too short, it's too much. Yeah, like, definitely, like, um, I said definitely. I'm going to kill myself again. <laughs> That's all good. There's a lot of definitely's in here. <laughs> so, the film, though, is 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 really good. I, I love I love. Oh, yeah, Halloween. No, we'll talk about our reviews later and such, but, geez. Uh, I had actually had a hard time finding a bad movie review. I think there was only one. I literally found the only one when we get down to our review section. I, I felt bad. I was trying. I went out to um like uh, Target and um Walmart. I was trying to find a, like a good Blu-ray copy that comes with like a digital code. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't. So I felt bad. I had to pirate this movie too. I ended up watching it on, uh, I think Amazon has it. I don't think they have it for free, but uh, eh. I forget. It doesn't really matter though. The yep. movie's fantastic. Alright, you want to kick us off with the notes and our long marathon. Yes, so let's get up to the top. This is a big old doozy, guys. Oh, I'm about to sneeze. I stopped it. Okay. <clears throat> so filming for this movie took place in Southern California in May 1978 before premiering in October. So it was only like five months and they were like, this movie's done. Wasn't this like mainly um, shot on the back lot in, in Hollywood Studios of Universal? I think um i don't know it might be in here somewhere but i think so or the second one was all right um where it grow uh, when it premiered in october it grows 70 million dollars becoming one of the most profitable independent films primarily praised for carpenter's direction and score many credit the film as the first in a long line of slasher films inspired by alfred hitchcock's uh psycho and bob clark's black christmas which came out in 1960 and 1974 respectively some critics have suggested that Halloween may encourage sadism and misogyny by audiences identifying with its villain. If you identify with Michael, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Others have suggested that the film is a social critique of the immorality of youth and teenagers in 1970s America, with many of Myers' victims being sexually promiscuous substance abusers. And the lone, her- and the lone heroines depicted as innocent and pure, hence her survival. That's what I mean by Scream Queen. Scream Queens are the ones who usually, like, final girls, they, like, they always survive. Yeah. Except for in uh, H20 Resurrection or whatever, where Busta Rhymes is the main character. <laughs> what, um... So, hearing, like, a John Carp- uh, a John Guy 
Carpenter film listed as independent fucking, like, blows my mind. Most of his films right at the beginning of his career were independent because he wasn't, like, he was mostly known for music. So they were like, we're not going to give this guy a fucking movie. He does music. And then after this, they were like, oh, we're going to give this guy every movie. Yeah, like, like <laughs> his, like, probably one of his best horror films is The Thing. Yeah, we talk about um, how he got into it with Assault on Precinct 13, which is further down in the notes. And then, yeah, he had Halloween, he had The Thing, like, he had a lot of good stuff under which, his belt. Which, the, the Thing was also referenced in the movie as well, with the horror movie that uh, Laurie and Teddy were watching on TV. Was that? Really? Yep, it was The Thing. Was it the original The Thing? Because there's yep. one from the 50s. Okay. It, was, it was the original Thing, because like, I, don't, I don't think uh, John Carpenter did The Thing yet. No, I think it was '81. Yeah, when he did the uh, the thing for with uh, Kurt Russell. So that's pretty dope, though. That like it's a subtle like foreshadowing if you really pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, continuing on with the notes, though, uh, I got a paragraph too. We're we're actually gonna go paragraph by paragraph for this one because these are long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Halloween spawned a film franchise comprising of eleven films. Eleven. Which helped construct an extensive backstory of its antagonist, Michael Myers. Sometimes negatively, uh, drivingly... Uh, uh. Narratively <laughs> diverging entirely from the previous installments. Thank I you. <laughs> A remake was released in 2007, which was directed by Rob Zombie. Yeah, and these are actually more of character studies uh, for Michael Myers instead of being like slasher films. I was talking about it with my buddy Billy, and he's like a big Halloween guy. And he said... um. That I haven't watched them yet, but I probably plan on watching the Rob Zombie ones because the Michael suit looks good. He said, "Um, it's a good character study for Michael, but if you like Laurie Strode, you're gonna be very disappointed because Laurie sucks." <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, reading back of uh, remake was released in 2007, which followed by a sequel in 2009, and 11 installments, which uh, serves as a direct sequel to the original film. That retcons the previous sequels was released in 2018. I and I have movie. a separate timeline I'll talk about later where I have like a decent flow of a story. But yeah, what were you uh, saying? Uh, I, I saw I saw the uh, Halloween 2018 in theaters. I've never seen any Halloween movie besides the two I just watched. I saw that with an asshole, a bitch, and Sean. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I got you. Uh, two sequels to that installment, uh, titled Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, are scheduled to release on October 15th, 2021, and October 14th, 2022. Re- respectively, additionally, uh, re- uh, respectively, additionally, I hate how that goes, um, <laughs> uh, a novelization, a video game, and a comic book series have been based on the film in two, uh, on the film, in 2006, the film was was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally historical, historical, and aesthetic. Oh my God! So many big words. Why'd you pick all the big words? <laughs> Read that last like sentence. It's been uh, registered by the Film Registry and the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant to that. the like world of film. I hate that so much. <laughs> Why are those words? Why? You get tripped up on all the alis. Yes. <laughs> so, after viewing Carpenter's film Assault on Precinct 13, which released in 1976, at the Milan Film Festival, an independent film producer, Erwin Yablins, and financer... Oh, my God. 
Mustafa Akkad, sorry if I mispronounced your name, bud, sought out Carpenter to direct the film for them about a psychotic killer that stalked babysitters. In an interview with Fangoria magazine, uh, Yablin stated, I was thinking uh, what would make sense in the horror genre, and I... And what I wanted to do was make uh, a picture that had the same impact as The Exorcist. Carpenter agreed to direct the film uh, contingent on having full creative control and was paid $10,000 for his work, which included writing, directing, and scoring. (laughs) He got paid fucking chump change. That's a million dollars in today's... Yeah, I know. In today's economy, it's fantastic. But back in the day, it was like... I mean, back in the day, I guess it was a lot of money because if it was a million dollars, yeah, sure. But thinking about it now, like, he only got paid 10 k That sucks. <laughs> yeah. uh, he and his then-girlfriend, Deborah Hill, began drafting a story originally titled The Babysitter Murders. Simple enough. Uh, Yablin subsequently, uh, yeah, subsequently suggested setting the, film, uh, setting the movie on Halloween night and naming it Halloween instead, to which Carpenter agreed and developed the story. Carpenter said the basic concept uh, was that on Halloween night, it was never... It has never been in the theme of a film, and uh, my idea has to do with an old haunted house film. Film director Bob Clark suggested in an interview released in 2005 that Carpenter asked him for his uh, uh, his own ideas for a sequel in 1978's film Black Christmas, written by uh, Roy Moore, that featured an unseen and motion, uh, motiveless killing killer murdering students in a university sorority house. As also stated in the 2009 documentary Clark World, which was written and directed by Clark's former producer... Uh, production designer Darren Abram after Clark's tragic death in 2007 Clark uh, Carpenter directly asked Clark about his thoughts on developing an anonymous slasher in Black Christmas and this is what they said uh, I did a film about three years later starting a f- uh, yeah okay this is like so phrased poorly I did a film about three years later started a film with John Carpenter it was his first film uh, for Warner Brothers which picked up Black Christmas uh, he asked if I was ever going to do a sequel, and I said no. I was through with horror, and I didn't uh, come into the business just to do horror. He said, um, well, what would you do if you were to do a sequel? He said that he, it would be the next year, and the guy would have actually been caught, escaped. Uh, he would have been caught, then he would escape from mental institution, and then go back to the house, uh, and he would start all over again, and it would be called Halloween. The truth is, John didn't copy Black Christmas. He wrote a script, directed the script, and did the casting. Halloween is the movie, and is his movie, and besides, the script came to him already titled anyway. He liked Black Christmas and may have been influenced by it, but in no way did John Carpenter copy the idea. Fifteen other people at the same time had thought the movie, have thought to do a movie called Halloween, but the script came to John with the title on it. So it's a low-key, unofficial sequel, which is dope, which is what I wrote. So, if you didn't understand what I was just fucking saying, he basically said, John Carpenter came to, to Clark and asked if he was going to do a sequel to Black Christmas. He said no. Then he said, well, what would it have been? And he said it would have been exactly what Halloween is, but with the same killer from Black Christmas. And he's like, in no way did I copy it, though. And in no way did he copy it. So, like, Which, it's cool that it's like a low-key sequel. Imagining, like, seeing the original name, um, The Babysitter Murders. That's like so weird like imagine if imagine if that that was the name that we all know right now the babysitter murders 20 years later the babysitter murders resurrection it's been so weird um i, I want to the bring, babysitter murders 3 season of the witch i want to i want to <laughs> bring uh th- this up um that i i brought up in like the notes of our second episode but i want to bring it up here 
Mm-hmm. Uh, why didn't we ever get a three-way crossover of Michael, Jason, and Freddy? Because Freddy and Jason were a little more unrealistic, at least at the time, than Michael was. Michael was grounded in realism until... Uh, until, like, until after the first film. Well, no, because he can get shot and survive, I guess, sure. And then after the second one, he's on fire, sure, whatever. But I think it also had to come down with rights. I think they just said no. They didn't want him to fight fucking Freddy and Jason. Because just, like, imagine that, though. That would have been, like, so interesting. And also, like, you, you can also really count, like, the, the first three Friday 13s were grounded in reality. For the most part. Yeah, they had a lot of uh, weird bull- bullshit, but yeah, so, for the so most did part, Halloween. They yeah, they, they didn't get weird until three, though. I mean, technically four. Well, three if you count season on the witch with the mind control thing. It was the mind control Halloween masks. Yeah. <laughs> hey, How did that's actually like, not a terrible? Why? Movie. Like, I I love that. Uh, technically, Danny McBride is now just retconning a lot of the stuff. Oh yeah, he's like anything I'm writing now is just what's happening. Yeah, he's like, it's not just him, he's, it's like hey, he's like, okay, one and two and H2O, we're going to keep those. No, and he didn't say that. That's that's just me. He said, um, well, it's, it's pretty a much a direct the truth. sequel to the original. Well, yeah, because it takes Jamie Lee Curtis and doesn't kill her like Resurrection did. Yeah. Yeah. I say that if you take one, two and uh, H20 and take the decapitation survival from Resurrection, and then that's how you get Halloween 2018. That's just me. So. It, it took a and came back into the notes though. It took approximately ten days to write the screenplay. Yo, fuck me, right? I can't write anything in ten days. And they're like, we wrote a whole ass movie. And it's a multi million dollar. Well, they were like, hey, it took me like almost a month to write up the my screenplay. Yeah. So and it, it's decent, but it needs crazy. a lot of kinks uh, worked out. Yeah. Uh, Yablins and Akkad, uh, uh, ceded most of the creative control to. To writers Carpenter and Hill, whom Carpenter wanted as producer, but Yabins did offer several suggestions. According to uh, Fangoria interview with Hill, Yablins wanted a script writer like a radio show with booze every 10 minutes. God fucking <laughs> damn it. <sighs> by, Hill's rec- by, by Hill's recollection, the script took three weeks to write. Um, and much of the inspiration behind the plot came from uh, Celtic's tradition of Halloween, such as a festival of Samanthian, which was referenced in two, although Samanthian is uh, not mentioned in the plot of the first film. He'll uh, arrest that, asserted that. Yeah. Uh, continuing on. Uh, the idea was that you could have killed, that, that you couldn't kill evil. That how he came about the story. That's how he came about the story. We went back to the old idea of Samantha and, and Halloween was the night where all the souls are let out to wreak havoc on the living. They came up with the story about how about the most evil kid who ever lived. And when John Carpenter came up with the fable of the town with a dark secret of someone who once lived there, and now the evil has come back. That's what made Halloween work. Hell yeah, dude. Oh my. And, uh, a, a lot of the Fangoria interviews in the um, 
the documentaries about the franchise and about like Clark and stuff and Carpenter all give you like fun little tidbits into the world and minds of these people. And it's cool to see. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to finish up the paragraph. Uh, Hill, who had worked as a babysitter during his teenage years, wrote most of the female characters' dialogue while Carpenter drafted Loomis's speech on the soullessness of Michael Myers. Many script details were drawn from Carpenter and Hill's own background and early career. The fictional town of, of Haddonfield, uh, Illinois, was... Uh, oh, my God. Derived. Thank you. Derived from... Um, Havenfield, New Jersey, where Hill was Jersey. raised. Did you say New Jersey? New Jersey. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> while several of the street names were taken from Carpenter's hometown of Bowling Green, Kentucky, uh, Laurie Strobe was allegedly the name of one of Carpenter's old girlfriends, while Michael Myers was the name of an English producer who had previously uh, entered uh, uh, and tried with... Yavin's assault on Precinct 13. The various European film festivals um, homages are paid to Alfred Hitchcock with two characters named Tommy Deloy and is named after Lieutenant uh, Del- uh, Lieutenant Thomas J. Deloy. Uh, the actor's name Wel- Weldon Corey from Rear Window in 1954. Dr. Loomis was, uh, dr- was hmm, derived, derived from Sam Loomis John Cavan from Psycho, uh, the boyfriend of um, Marcin Crane, Janet Let uh, Let the. I have a speech impediment, guys. So please fucking murder me at all costs. It's not an impediment. You're just illiterate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a speech impediment too. You know this. I didn't know that actually. Janet Lay, who is the right, who is the real life mother of Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Sheriff Lay Bracket, shared the name of a Hollywood screenwriter. And a frequent collaborator of Harold Hawks. You know I have a speech. I stutter a lot. I just thought it was because you're reading all this information and it's very tiny. Happens to me sometimes. No, I just have... My, my brain can't comprehend things as fast as, a, as my mouth can. Uh, sometimes I'm really good at it and sometimes I just fucking spill over my words. It happens. What are you going to do? Yeah. So, in devising the backstory for the film's villain, Michael Myers... Uh, Carpenter drew on haunted house folklore that exists in many small American communities. Most small towns have kind of haunted house stories, uh, the one or kind or another, he stated. At least that's what teenagers believe. There's always a house down in the lane that somebody was killed in or that somebody went crazy in. Carpenter's inspiration for the evil that Michael embodied came from his visit that he had taken during uh, college to a psychiatric institution in Kentucky. There he visited a ward with his psychology classmates where the most serious mentally ill patients were held. Among these patients uh, was an adolescent boy who possessed a blank schizophrenic stare. Carpenter's experience inspired the characterization that Loomis gave Michael to Sheriff Brackett in the film. Deborah Hill has stated the scene where Michael kills the Wallace's German Shepherd was done to illustrate how he is really evil and deadly. The ending scene of Michael being shot six times and then disappearing after falling off the balcony was meant to terrify the imagination of the audience. Carpenter tried to keep the audience guessing as to who Michael Myers really is. He is he gone, uh, and everywhere at the same time. Uh, he is more than human. He may be supernatural, and no one knows how he got that way. To Carpenter, keeping the audience guessing was better than explaining away the character with uh, he's cursed by something. Uh, 
Carpenter has described Halloween as true crass expo- uh, exploitation. Um, and then he said he decided to make the film he would love to have seen as a kid with full of cheap tricks like haunted houses and a fair, uh, at a fair where you can walk down the corridor and things jump at you. Man. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, the low budget limit. Uh, anything we want to talk about there? Or just want to jump into the next part. No, we can keep going. There's a lot to cover. Yeah, and I got a lot of in movie notes that uh, we'll talk yeah. about what you know happens in the movie, like with the dog and with like how Michael is. The low budget limited the name of big names that Carpenter could attract. The most of the actors re- uh, received very little compensation for their roles. Uh, Pleasance was paid the highest amount at twenty thousand. Curtis received. Eight thousand, and Nick Castle earned twenty five dollars a day. But if you think about it, the film premiered in October and it started in May, so twenty five dollars a day for six months isn't that bad. Don't they still get royalties from this film too? I think they always. Yeah, I think they all get royalties. Uh, the role of Doctor Loomis was originally intended for Peter Crushing, who had recently appeared as Grand Moff Tolkien in Star Wars. Ooh. Hell yeah. That would have been interesting. Yeah, he would have been an interesting version of it. Yeah, like, see, like, so, I, I wonder, like, do, do they, do, do they, like, receive, like, a check for, say, like, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, does she receive a check for $8,000 every time the film gets played on TV? I don't think it's the exact same amount. I think, um, did they add when a, you get royalties, they're stipends. Do they count for inflation, too? Uh, probably, but it's probably not that much. It's every time it, like... Like, every time a streaming network buys it, Jamie Lee Curtis will get paid. Every time it airs on TV, Jamie Lee Curtis will get a little bit of money. Every time a movie theater wants to play it, Jamie Lee Curtis will get a little bit of money if she was able to receive royalties, because not all contracts allow you to get royalties from it. Okay, uh, finishing up the paragraph, Crushing's agent rejected Carpenter's offer due to the low salary. Christopher Lee was approached for the role. He, too, turned it down, although the actor later told uh, Carpenter and Hill that declining the role was the biggest mistake he ever made during his career. The Ablins <laughs> then suggested um, uh, uh, Pleasing, uh, uh, yeah, 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 Pleasance, who agreed to star because his daughter Lucy, a uh, guitarist, had enjoyed assault on Precinct 13th for Carpenter's score. That's dope. Yeah, I was like that kind of stuff. It's like how Danny DeVito got into It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. His kids really love the show. And they wanted to see if he could be in it. So Danny DeVito approached um, Charlie, Mac, and Dennis and asked if they could, if he could be in it. And they said, only if we make you the worst character in the history of television. <laughs> and he was like, okay, sure. I'm the trash man. The trash man. <laughs> I've been dumb. watching a lot of bloopers, dude. I don't know how they got anything done. <laughs> well, like, uh, sometimes they're professional. Uh, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> in an interview, Carpenter admits that Jamie Lee Curtis wasn't the first choice for Lori. I had no idea who she was. She was 19 and in a TV show at the time, but I didn't watch TV. The original guy of, of this this modern era. <laughs> he originally wanted to cast um, Annie Lockhart, the daughter of John Lockhart from Lassie, as Lori Strobe. However, Lockhart had a... Uh, commitments to several other films and television projects. Hill says of learning that Jamie Lee Curtis was the daughter of the psycho actress uh, Janet Leigh. I did not know that. I actually did not know that at all. You you read that before in the notes. I Well, I'm stupid. 
<laughs> I didn't know that before watching the film either. Uh, so. I knew casting Jamie Lee would be a great publicity for the film because her mother was in Psycho. Curtis was cast in the part through she intentionally she initially had received she had reservations as she felt she identified more with the other female characters i was very much a smart aleck and was a cheerleader in high school so i felt very concerned that i was being considered for the quiet repressed young woman and in fact i was very much like the other two girls that's funny (laughs) if you want to continue on so my brain doesn't uh, shut down. relatively unknown actress, Nancy Keys, who's credited as the film as Nancy Loomis, was cast in Laurie's out was cast as Laurie's outspoken friend, uh, Annie Brackett, daughter of Haddonfield Sheriff Lee Brackett, who was played by uh, Charles Cyphers. Keys had previously starred in Assault on Precinct Thirteen as Cipher as had Cyphers, and happened uh, to be dating Halloween's art director Tommy Lee Wallace while uh, filming began. Carpenter chose P.J. Souls to play uh, Linda Vanderclock. Uh, another loquacious friend at Lo- uh, friend of Laurie's, but uh, remember uh, best remembered in the film's dialogue as uh, using totally a lot. Uh, Souls was an actress known for her supporting role in Carrie and her minor role in The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. According to Souls, she was told after being cast that Carpenter had written a role with her in mind. Souls' then husband, actor Dennis Quaid, was considered for the role of Bob Sims, Linda's boyfriend, but was unable to perform due to prior work commitments. That would have been cool. I forgot who Dennis, Dennis Quaid, Quaid was. Dennis Quaid has been in a bunch of stuff. He's on Netflix as um one of the dads in one of the sitcoms, Mary Happy, whatever. Okay. Yeah, and also he's been in a bunch of shit. That's just the most recent thing I know him from. Sorry, Dennis Quaid. You're a better <laughs> actor than a Christmas sitcom, but that's what you get right now. <laughs> <clears throat> so, the role of The Shape, as the masked Michael Myers character was billed in the end credits, was played by Nick Castle, who befriended Carpenter while they attended uh, the University of Southern California. After Halloween, Castle became a director, taking the helm of such films as The Last Starfighter, The Boy Who Could Fly, Dennis the Menace, and Major Payne. Tony Morin plays the unmasked Michael at the end of the film. Morin was a struggling actor before he got the role. At the time, he had a job uh, on Hollywood and Vine, dressed up as Frankenstein. Uh, Morin had the same agent as his sister Erin, who played uh, Joni Cunningham on Happy Days. When Morin went to audition for the role of Michael, he met uh, for an interview with Carpenter and Yablins. He later got a call back. Uh, and was told he got the part. Morin oh, was paid $250 for his appearance because he was were just one scene. Uh, Will Sandin played the unmasked young Michael at the beginning of the film. Carpenter also provided uncredited voice work as Paul and his boyfriend uh, on the phone. Hmm. Uh, Ackett agreed to put up $300,000 for the budget, uh, which was considered low at the time. Carpenter's previous film, Assault on Precinct 13, had an estimated budget of 100000 So it was up for it was a, it was up for Carpenter, but down for normal films. Jeez. Uh, Akid worried over the tight four-week schedule, low budget, and, Car- and Carpenter's limited experience as a filmmaker, but told Fangoria, two things um, made me decide. One, Carpenter told me the story verbally and in a suspenseful way, almost frame for frame. Second, he told me he didn't want to take any fees, and he showed that he had confidence in the project. Carpenter received $10,000 for directing, writing, and composing the music, retaining rights to 10% of the film's profits. So, oh. if they made $70 million, he only made $7 million. Uh, off of it. Once which, again, that's, that's not still part, too still bad. Well, for those standards, yeah. <laughs> I, was re- I was scrolling down to see how much we had, how much oh, more we had, we had to go. We haven't even hit the plot yet, baby. 
Uh, it's because of the low budget, wardrobe and props were often crafted from items on hand and that could be purchased inexpensively. Carpenter hired Tommy Lee Wallace as production designer, art director, location scout, and co-editor. He had a lot. Uh, Wallace created the trademark mask worn by Michael Myers throughout the film from a Captain Kirk mask purchased for $1.98 from a Halloween shop on Halloween Boulevard. <laughs> Carpenter uh, recalled how Wallace's widened, uh, he widened the eye holes and spray-painted the flesh a bluish-white. In the script, it said Michael Myers' mask had pale features of a human face, and it was truly spooky looking. I can only imagine the results if they had painted uh, the mask white. Children would be checking their closets for William Shatner after Tommy got through with it, Carpenter said. <laughs> Hill adds that the idea, uh, that the, uh, yeah, film adds that the idea was to make um, him almost humorless, faceless, uh, this sort of pale visage that could resemble a human or not. Many of the actors wore their own clothes. Curtis's wardrobe was purchased at JCPenney for around $100. That's, that's uh, Wallace cool. described the filming process as uniquely collaborative, with cast members often helping move equipment, cameras, and helping facility uh, facilitate setups. That's really cool. See, I, I love... It, it definitely screams low-budget indie film. I, I love, like, I, I love always hearing the the, the fact of, yeah, the, the, the Michael Myers mask was a William Shatner mask. Yeah, it was, it was Kirk from Star Trek. It's just so cool. <laughs> it was painted white. <laughs> that's just so cool but like so if you see what, what that mask looks like unpainted it's still fucking terrifying oh yeah because masks back in fucking 78 were disastrous um Halloween was filmed in 20 days over a four week period in May of 1978 much of the filming was completed using a a, a steady cam and then new cameras that allow the filmmakers to move around space smoothly. Dude, Nick Castle only got $500. <laughs> oh. And he was Michael. He was in the whole movie. <laughs> uh, to, to, uh, to, to further this, like, you could definitely tell. So, like, I watched, the, I think, the, the second one and a bit of the first one on my TV. And my TV, not to humble brag, is uh, 4K and shit. Nice. So like so you could definitely see like the steadiness of the camera movements and shit like that. Yeah. Uh, steady cam then a new camera allowed to move allowed them to move smoothly out to spaces, filming locations including South uh, Pasadena, California, uh, Garfield Elementary School, and and uh, uh what was that? Alham Alhambra Alhambra California, and the cemetery at at Seria. Madrid, California. California, you gotta get better names for your places. California. I like San Dimas. <laughs> I, I like Garfield, but I can't pronounce anything else. <laughs> um, an abandoned house owned by a church stood in the Myers, um, the Myers house, two homes on Orange Grove Avenue near Sunset Boulevard. LAPD in the rear view. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Sugar Pine 7, we'll still love you. Spalding Square. <laughs> Is that right? No, no. Yeah, Spalding Square. Spalding Square? Okay, awesome. Come on, I got that right first try. Fuck yeah. Uh, neighborhood of Hollywood were used for the film's climax as the streets had few palm trees and thus closely resembling a Midwest street. Some palm trees, however, are visible in the film's early establishing scenes. The crew had difficulty finding pumpkins in the spring. And artificially uh, fall leaves had to be reused for multiple scenes. Local families <laughs> dressed their children in Halloween costumes for trick-or-treat scenes. That's dope, too. 
Yeah, they got a bunch of people around the neighborhood to dress their kids up. Yeah, I knew. And then have them run around and get candy for I, the day. <laughs> I knew about this. Um, I, I, I watched a few people on YouTube back in the day that did, um, like, oh, going to this filming location or that filming location. I, they're mm-hmm. very easy to find. If you, oh, yeah, no. Because they're just actual places. Yeah, because you, you can Back go in the on... day, they actually went to locations. Nowadays, they just go into a lot and use green screen and, like, well, actually, artificial um, sets. <laughs> uh, back when I used to watch The Walking Dead, everything was filmed on location. Oh, yeah, and it's not everybody, but a lot of people do it. So, yeah. Mandalorian is filmed all in, um, like, a closed set that has, like, a green screen LED camera thing. It's cool. You should definitely check out the making of The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. It's really cool. I still need to watch The Mandalorian. So You haven't watched The Mandalorian yet? Dude, nope. come on. Uh, you got time. Uh, Friday is season two, so get on it. <laughs> Carpenter worked with the cast to create the diverse effect of terror and suspense. Uh, according to Curtis, Carpenter created a fear meter because the film was shot out of sequence and she was not sure what her character's level of terror should be in certain scenes. Uh, here's about a set. Here's about a seven. Here's about a six. And the scenes were going to school tonight is about a nine. Remember, Curtis. Uh, she had different facial expressions and scream volumes for each level of meter. Carpenter's direction for Castle in his role as Myers was minimal. For example, when Castle asked what Myers' motive was for the particular scene, for a particular scene, Carpenter replied, "That's his motive. Walk was to walk from one set to was walk from one set maker to another and not act." <laughs> He basically told the guy, walk to that X on the floor and do nothing. <laughs> uh, by Carpenter's account, the only direction he gave Castle was during the murder scene of Bob, in which he told Castle to tilt his head and ex- examine the corpse as if it were a beautiful butterfly collection. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love this shit, man. Let's tilt your head, huh? Pretty. Uh, uh, lacking a symphonic, 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 thank you, soundtrack, the film's score consists of a piano melody played at a 10-8 or a complex 5-4. Uh, time signature composed, composed and performed by director Carpenter, with Carpenter, <laughs> yes, admitting that the music was inspired by both, uh, Diero, uh, Arctasio, Argento. Argento. Uh, Suspiria. Thank you. Which also influenced the film's slightly surreal coal, uh, color, color scheme. Are you, you going to mispronounce color? I was going to go color <laughs> scheme. <laughs> and William Frederick, The Exorcist. It took Carpenter three days to compose the entire score for the film. In addition for the film's critical and commercial success, Carpenter's self-composed Halloween theme became recognizable apart from the film. Uh, critic uh, James Bender Neal. Yeah, that, that, that's a name. That is not. It's Berardinelli. Berardinelli. He's, uh, he's, he's Italian, so who cares anymore? Calls the score. It's James Bibbidabobbidabooby. Relatively, <laughs> re- relatively simple 
and un... Sophisticated. Sophisticated. I'm stupid, right? <laughs> I barely paid attention to reading class when I was a kid. But admits that Halloween's music is one of the strongest assets. Carpenter start, stated in an interview, I can play just about any keyboard, but I can't read or write a note. Well, I'm with you there, He's buddy. Like an idiot savant, basically. Uh, in the end credits, Carpenter builds himself as the Bowling Green Philharmonic Orchestra for performing the film's score, but he did receive uh, assistance from composer Dan Wilhelm. Wyman. Wyman, thank you. A music, produ- a music producer, a music professor at San Jose State University. You can, you can University. Listen, <laughs> I am stupid. I don't, I, I can't read. I can't write. Nah, man, it's all good. It is how it is. So, <clears throat> uh, songs, uh, Notes are fucking up. Some songs can be heard in the film, one being an untitled song performed by Carpenter and a group of his friends who formed a band called uh, the Coup de Villas. Uh, the song is heard as Laurie steps into Annie's car on the way to babysit Tommy Doyle, who is uh, fucking Paul Rudd's character in Six, which is fucking funny. Uh, another song, Don't Fear the Reaper, by classic rock band Blue Oyster Cult, appears in the film. That was pretty cool. I didn't know how old that song actually was. I thought that song was like 80s, 90s. Wild it's like Stallion. 70s. Wild Stallion. Don't fear the Reaper. Um, the soundtrack was uh, first released in the United States in October of 1983 by uh, Varese Sarablonde, or MCA. I guess it's a recording company. Yes. Uh, it was subsequently released on Compact Disc in 1985, re-released in 1990, and again in 2000. On the film's 40th uh, anniversary, coinciding with the release of the anthology movies from uh, 1974, uh, the release of anthology movie themes from 1974 to 1978, a cover of the theme by Trent Reznor and uh, Atticus Ross was released in 1980. That's pretty cool. Uh, Also in 1980, the film's rights to Halloween were sold to NBC for approximately, oh no, it didn't come out in 1930, it came out 40 years, 80, uh, oh my god, what is it, 2001? What? Would, would mark 40 years for it? Yeah, well, it would be 40 years from, uh, 78. Um. 2013? I think so. 2018? I think so. I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> the, the notes got cut off over here. Uh, so in 1980, the television rights for Halloween were sold to NBC for approximately $3 million. After a debate among Carpenter Hill and NBC's standard and practices over censoring of certain scenes, Halloween appeared on television for the first time in October of 1981, which I think is when uh, Bill and Ted came out. Uh, To fill the two-hour time slot, Carpenter filmed 12 minutes of additional material during the production of Halloween 2. To to backtrack, so the 40 years would have been 2018. 2018, okay. I knew it was something. 18, 2008. I just had to do math. I had to subtract a year from a year. Quick muff. Um, yo, check this bit out. Uh, so to fill the two-hour time slot, Carpenter had to film 12 minutes of extra material during the production of Halloween 2. The newly filmed scenes include Dr. Loomis at the hospital board review of Michael Myers and Dr. Loomis talking to six-year-old Michael at Smith's Grove, telling him, You fooled them, haven't you, Michael? But not me. Another extra scene features Dr. Loomis at Smith's Grove examining Michael's abandoned cell after he escapes and seeing the word sister scratched into the door. So... Uh, the movie I watched did not have those extra scenes in it, but Same. I did get boobies, so cool. <laughs> I got boobies. <laughs> we got boobies. We got the uncensored one because yes. the TV had to censor it because they can't show boobies on NBC primetime. 
Well, remember, I, I, I never saw this on NBC. I, I only saw it during um, AMC's uh, Horror Month. Fright Fest or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where were we? That's where I first Finally, saw Finally, a scene in which uh, added Lita, Linda, who comes over to Lori's house, to borrow a still blast before Lori leaves to babysit. Just as Anne telephones asking to borrow the same blast. The new scene uh, had Lori's hair hidden by a towel since uh, Curtis uh, was then had a much shorter hairstyle that she wore in 1978. Yes. Uh, in August 2006, Fangoria reported that Synapse Films had discovered boxes of negatives containing footage cut from the film and was labeled 1981, suggesting that it was additional footage for the television version of the film. Synapse owner Don May Jr. said, What we've got is pretty much all the unused original camera negatives from John Carpenter's original Halloween. Luckily... Uh, Billy Kirkus was able to find this material before it was destroyed. The story on how we got the negative is a long one, but we'll just save it for when uh, we're able to use it and showcase some of the material. Kirkus should have uh, Kirkus should be commended for pretty much saving the holy grail of horror films. He later yeah. claimed, uh, "We just learned from Sean Clark, longtime Halloween genius, that the footage uh, is found is just that—it's footage. There's no sound or any of the, on any of the reels so far." Since none of it was used in the final edit, so it's just like, just act, just like him walking around and stuff. Probably just like actual footage, no editing. Yeah. Um, upon its initial release, Halloween performed well with little advertising, relying most on word of mouth. But many critics seemed uninterested or dismissive of the film. Pauline Kael wrote a scathing review in the uh, <clears throat> New Yorker, suggesting that Carpenter doesn't seem to have any life outside of movies. One can trace almost every idea of the screen of the screen. To directors such as Hitchcock and Brian De Palma, and to the uh, Val Luton productions, and claiming maybe when horror film when a horror film is stripped of everything that but dumb scariness, when it isn't ashamed to revive the stalest device in the genre, the escape lunatic, it satisfies the part of the audience in the most basic childish way, uh, more than sophisticated horror pictures do. This was the when I said I couldn't find a bad review, I meant like from Rotten Tomatoes, which is where we use our source. Yes. But yeah, no, this got critically panned. I'm not going to read this next big thing. Do you want me to read it? this just seems to read like it? a lot. And we can skip it if you want. It's, I... it's a lot, and it's just another review. It's people just talking about it. Uh, yeah, I might as well skip it then, too. Yeah, I'll, I'll do the, the fucking spark notes of it. People said it was well-made, but a horrible, more uh, an empty, morbid thriller. Some people said it was surprisingly good. Some people said it was terrifying. But you can age right out of it. Some people said it was like, too extreme, and then others said that it was too close to um, other movies to be original. Really? And then they said that Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, role wasn't that good. That she didn't do well in that role, which I think is dumb because I think she did. Great. Yeah, she, like, she she pretty much was like the queen of yeah she she, she was the, the the scream queen. She was the the she was the ideal uh, female to Final girl. Yeah. To be casted as <clears throat> as that role. The following months, the voice led uh, critic um, Andrew Sars, um, yeah, Sars, 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 yeah, Sarah, Sarah, Sars. <laughs> <laughs> Follow Stars. feature on Cole Films, citing Aliens, uh, Allen's, Allen's. Sorry, I don't have my glasses on. Um, what was that word? Yeah, okay. I can't read out my glasses, so... Get your fucking glasses, bro. Yeah, let me do that. You continue reading. I'll be right back, guys. Yeah, so uh, he cited Alan's appraisal of Halloween and writing in the lead sentence that uh, the film bids 
fair to become a cult classic discovery of 1978, audiences have been heard screaming at its horrifying climaxes. Robert Ebert gave the film similar praise in 1979 review in the Chicago Sun-Times, referring to it as a visceral experience. Uh, we aren't seeing the movie. We're having um, it happen to us. It's frightening. Maybe you don't like movies that are really scary. Then don't see this one. Ebert also selected it as one of his top ten films from 1978. Uh, once dismissive critics became impressed by Carpenter's choice of camera angles and simple music, it was surprised lack of blood and graphic violence. Really? Yeah. So, it basically got bit more praise a year or two after it came out than it did when it first came out. <laughs> uh, Halloween was nominated for the Saturn Award for Best Horror Film by the Academy of Science Fiction. Huh? Huh? Fantasy and horror. It's film. called the It's called the Academy for Science Fiction, Horror, and Fantasy. Okay. Films. Yeah. I I got tripped up because I saw that, and then I saw parentheses Fantasy and Horror. I'm like, huh? Mm-hmm. In 1978, but I uh, lost to The Wicker Man. 1973. In 2001, Halloween ranked 68 on America's Film um, Institute TV program 100 Years and 100 Thrills. The film was ranked 14 on Bravo for the 100 Scariest Movie Moments of 2004. Similar to Chicago's Film Critic Association, named a third scariest film ever made. In 2006... Halloween was selected for preservation, preservation. in the United States. We, we mentioned this already. Yeah, we talked about this before. Uh, cr- cr- uh, critically, historically, and aesthetically significant. In 2008, the film was selected by Empire Magazine as one of the top 500 greatest movies of all time. In 2010, Total Film selected the film as one of the 100 greatest movies of all time. In 2017, Complex Magazine named Halloween the best slasher film of all time following year pace listed it as the best slasher film of all time with michael myers was ranked as the greatest slasher villain of all time by la weekly <laughs> jesus christ everybody's like yeah michael nut <laughs> oh my best of all time best of all time hey i this movie is really is really good we, we're not gonna deny that yeah the film has often been cited as an uh, allegory on the virtue of sexual purity and the dangers of casual sex although carpenter has explained that this was not his intent it has been suggested that i was making some kind of moral statement believe me i'm not in halloween i viewed the characters as uh, simply teenagers some feminist critics according to historian uh nicholas rogers have seen the slasher movie since halloween uh, as debasing women in as a divisive manner as hardcore pornography Critics uh, such as John Muir state that female characters such as Laurie Strode survive not because of any good planning or their own resourcefulness, but sheer luck. Although she manages to repel the killer several times in the end, Strode is rescued in Halloween and Halloween 2 only when Dr. Loomis uh, arrives to shoot him or to light him on fire. Yeah, yeah. When uh, So if, if it's now, no surprise though, guys. Um, we are doing a double feature tonight for you, for you folks. Uh, Halloween. It wouldn't be tonight. It's going to be today and tomorrow. Well, well, no, no. We're recording these all in one stretch, Hunter. I'm aware. I'm saying they come out today and tomorrow for the listeners. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. T- today and tomorrow. Uh, yeah, so if it's no surprise, there you go. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be sitting in front of our computers for what now is almost an hour of... And we ain't even get to the plot. Yeah. Um, other... I'm going to start powering through these because there's a lot of fucking notes. Other feminists uh, 
scholars such as Carol J. Clover argue that despite the violence against women, Halloween and other slasher films turn women into heroines. In many in many pre-Halloween horror films, women are depicted as helpless victims and are not safe until they are rescued by a strong masculine hero. Despite the fact that Loomis saved Strove, uh, Clover um, arrest, uh, asserts that Halloween initially the horror and initially the role of the final girl who ultimately triumphs in the end. Strode fought back against Myers and several wounded um, and, se- and severely wounded him. Um, had Myers been a normal man, Strobe attacks would have killed him. Even Loomis, the male hero of the story, who shoots Michael repeatedly with a revolver, cannot kill him. Um, Avi... Yeah, this is just a lot more uh, feminist, uh, feminist scholars talking about how Laurie Strode is actually not that bad. Uh, and how the misogynistic stuff was only coming off as like something that Carpenter was trying to do, even though he said he wasn't. I'm going to just pl- plow through these notes real quick okay. if you want, Zach. Yeah. Because we got a fuck ton. Um, another major theme found in the film is the dangers of premarital sex. Clover believes, oh, who is the feminist scholar from before, uh, that killers in slasher films are fueled by psychosexual fury, and that all the killers are sexual in nature. She uh, reinforces this idea by saying that the guns have no place in slasher films, and while examining the film I Spit on Your Grave, she notes that a hands-on killing answers uh, a hands-on rape in a way that than a shooting, even a shooting preceded by a humiliation does not. Um, equating sex with violence is important in Halloween and the slasher genre, according to Pat Gill, who made note in her essay, The Monstrous Years, Teen Slashers and, uh, and in the Family. She remarks that Lori's friends think of their babysitting jobs as opportunities to share drinks in beds with their boyfriends. One by one, they are all killed by Michael, uh, who's an insane asylum escapee, who years ago at the same house murdered his, uh, blah, 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 just to recap. Um, the dangers of suburbia is another major theme that runs throughout the family and the slasher genre. No one locks their fucking doors! Uh, yeah. Pat Gill states that the and slasher And we leave keys under locked. the fucking mat. <laughs> yeah. It says right here, um... Pat Gill says that uh, slasher films seem to mock white flight to uh, gated communities, in particular uh, the attempts of parents to shield their children from dangerous influences represented by the city. Halloween and slasher films generally represented the underside of suburbia. Myers is raised in a suburban household, and after he escapes the mental hospital, he returns to his hometown to kill again. Michael Myers is a production of of the suburban environment. Uh, Michael is thought by some to be the representative of evil in the film. This is based off common belief that evil never dies, nor does evil show any remorse. This film is demonstrated. Uh, this idea is demonstrated in the film when Dr. Loomis discusses Michael's history with the sheriff. Loomis states, I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked away because I realized that what was living behind the boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Loomis also referred to Michael Myers as evil when he steals the car at the sanitarium, which I have notes. <laughs> we'll talk about later. Yes. Carpenter yes. himself dismisses the notion that Halloween is a uh, moral, uh, morality play, regarding it as merely just a horror film. Carpenter's like, stop looking too much into my film, it's just a fucking movie. <laughs> According to Carpenter, cr- uh, Carpenter, critics completely missed the point here, he explains. The girl who is the most sexually uptight just keeps stabbing the guy with a long knife. She's the most sexually frustrated. She's the one that killed him. Not because she's a virgin, but because all the sexually repressed energy starts to come out. She uses all of this uh, phallic symbols uh, on the guy. She throws, like, fucking shit, random shit at him that's phallic. Uh, historian Nicholas Rogers noted the film's critics contended that Carpenter's direction of the film and camera work was um, a resounding success. Robert Ebert remarks, um, the violence on screen, but it's hard to tell, blah, blah, blah. He said it, Carpenter's unskillfully, uh, uncannily skilled 
uh, with his compositions and foregrounds and stuff. Uh, the opening title featuring a jack-o'-lantern placed at the top at the blacktop sets the mood for the entire film. The camera slowly moves towards the jack-o'-lantern's left eye to the main title uh, when the main title theme plays. After the camera fully closes, the jack-o'-lantern's light dims and goes out. Film historian J.P. Tolay uh, says that this scene clearly announces that the film's primary concern will be uh, the way in which we see ourselves and others and the consequences that often attend uh, our, use, our usual manner of perception. Carpenter's first-person point-of-view compositions were employed with the Steadicam. Uh, Talay argues, as a result in the shift of perspective from the disembodied narrative camera to an actual character's eye, we are forced into a deeper sense of participation in the ensuing action. Along with the uh, 1978, uh, 1974 Canadian horror film Black Christmas, Halloween uh, made us see the events through the killer's eyes. Oh, still got more. How do we still have more? The first scene of Michael's young, <laughs> young voyeurism is followed uh, by the murder of Judith seen through the eye of Michael's clothes down the mask. According to uh, Rogers, Carpenter's frequent use of the unmounted first-person camera to represent the killer's point of view uh, invited viewers to adopt the murderer's uh, assaultive gaze and to hear his heavy, his heavy breathing and plodding footsteps as he stalks his prey. Film analysts have noted its delay withheld representatives of violence character, uh, characterized as false startle or the old trap-on-the-shoulder routine in which stalkers, murderers, and monsters lunge into our field of vision to, or creep up on a person. Critical uh, critic Susan Stark described. Uh, I'm not going to read that. She basically just says it's wonderfully shot. The writing's great, and it's a great horror film. Uh, Halloween is a widely influential film with horror in, within the horror genre. It is largely responsible for the popularization of slasher films in the 1980s and helped develop the slasher genre. Halloween popularized many tropes that have become completely synonymous with the slasher genre. Halloween also helped popularize the final girl trope, uh, the killing off, which is the killing off of a character. Who are substance abusers or sexually promiscuous, and then using the theme song for the killer, and then having the final girl survive. Yes. Carpenter also shot many scenes from the perspective of the killer in order to build tension. These elements have become uh, so established that many historians uh, argue that Halloween is responsible for the wave of war that emerged during the 1980s, which we said before. Due to its popularity, Halloween became a blueprint for success, and many of the horror films, such as Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and obviously Scream, which it satirized. Uh, which Scream satirized Halloween. Yes. The major themes present in Halloween also became common in the slasher genre. It inspired film scholar Pat Gill notes that in Halloween there's a theme of absentee parents such as um, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th featuring parents becoming directly responsible for the creation of the killer. <sighs> so much more. The, sla the slasher films predated Halloween such as Silent Night, Bloody Night, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Bloody Cr uh, Black Christmas which contained prominent elements of the slasher genre both involving a group of teenagers being murdered by a stranger uh, as well as having Final Girl tropes. Halloween, however, is considered by historians to be responsible for the new wave of horror uh, because it does not use these tropes, uh, but also pioneered them in many ways. Rockoff notes that it is difficult to overestimate the importance of Halloween, noting that its, pioneers, uh, its, po its pioneering use of the Final Girl character, subjective um, point-of-view shots, and holiday setting. Uh, he also considers the film the blueprint for all slasher and uh, models against subsequent films that are judged. Um, a mass market paperback novelization of the same name, which was written by Curtis Richards, uh, which is a pseudonym for Richard Curtis. That's fucking stupid. Was published <laughs> was published by Bantam Books in 1978 uh, and was reissued in 1982. It later went out of print. Novelization adds aspects in the film that were not in the uh, aspects that are not featured in the film, which are the origins of the Sam Han and uh, his life at the sanitarium, Michael's life at the sanitarium, which contradicts its source material. For example, the novelization of Michael. Uh, he speaks to Dr. Loomis, and he hasn't spoken for 15 years. In 1983, 
Halloween was adapted into a video game by Atari 2600 for the Atari 2600 by Wizard Video. None of the main characters in the game were named. Players take on the role of a teenage babysitter tries to save as many kids from an unnamed knife-wielding killer as possible. In an effort to save money, most of the versions of the game did not have a label on the cartridge. Uh, it's simply just a piece of tape that just had Halloween on it. The game contained more gore than the film, however. <clears throat> uh, when the babysitter is killed, her head disappears and is replaced by blood pulsating from her neck <laughs> as she runs out over, as she runs around over-exaggeratedly. Um, the, the, the game's primary similar to the film is the theme music. <laughs> Alright, we're winding up to a close. Oh, Halloween spawned seven sequels. One of these films, uh, only the first, you know, of these films, only the first sequel was written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. It began, it begins exactly where Halloween ends and intend to finish off the story of Michael and Laurie. Carpenter did not direct the subsequent Halloween films, although he did produce Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which the plot of which is unrelated to any of the films due to the absence of Michael. <clears throat> he, along with Alan ha uh, Howarth, also composed the music for the second and third films. After the negative critical and commercial reception to Season of the Witch, the filmmakers brought Michael back in Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Uh, financer Akkad... Uh, continued to work closely on the Halloween franchise, acting as executive producer for several films until his death in 2005, uh, Amon Bombings. Uh, with the exception of Halloween 3, the films, uh, the sequels further developed the character of Michael Myers and the same in theme. Uh, even without considering the third film in the Halloween franchise contains continuity issues with some of the sources attribute to different writers and different directors involved in each film. A remake was released in 2007, directed by Rob Zombie, which itself was followed by the 2009 sequel, which is more of a character study, which we talked about before. Yes. And then an 11th installment was released in, in the United States in 2018. The film was directed by David Gordon Green and is a direct sequel to the original film while disregarding the previous sequel's uh, from canon and retcon in the ending of the first film. The two direct sequels will be released, uh, which is Halloween Kills, which we talked about before, 2021, and Halloween Ends in 2022. Hopefully they actually fucking kill him at the end. So. Yeah, so, um... I, I want to mention something about Halloween 3, the season of The Witch. Like, if you look at that, that is more of a darker take. You know, it, it came out before this, um, this thing. Remember, like, the Haunted Mask in, in the Goosebumps uh, series? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's pretty much what what season of the witch is, but more like dark. Mm. I might actually watch season of the witch once I watch um my my canon timeline. I know it says it retcons the ending of the first film, but also like, nah, dude. Anyway, <clears throat> I mean I haven't watched it yet, so I don't hundred percent know, but we'll see. Look at that, we're, so we're on the plot. Huh. Moving on to the plot, which is not a lot to talk about. It's only five paragraphs, and they're pretty short. Okay, so paragraph by paragraph, so, we'll go. Okay, do you want to start or do you uh, want to start? I'll start off. Since you read that entire stretch, I'll give you a break for <laughs> a paragraph. On October 31st, October 31st, 1963, on Halloween night, in the fictional small town of Haddonfield, Illinois, 60-year-old Michael Myers unexpectedly stabs his older sister Judith to death with a kitchen knife in their home and is incarcerated by the Smith Grove Sanitarium 15 years later on October 30th, 1978, Michael's psychiatrist, Dr. Samuel Loomis, and his colleague, Marin Chambers, <sighs> arrive at the Haddonfield uh, at Sanitarium to escort Michael to court. Michael escapes by stealing their car and returns to Haddonfield, killing a mechanic uh, for his coveralls, and <clears throat> as well as stealing 
a white mask, a rope, and knives from a local hardware store. I don't remember him using the, the rope at all in the movie. Um, no. Oh, yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah, I don't remember him using the rope at all. I think that's just something that they just took. He might have used it, and I didn't see it, but I don't remember the rope at all. <clears throat> the next day on Halloween, high school student Lori Stroh drops off a key at the still unoccupied and dilapidated Myers home uh, her father is trying to sell, who is uh, Strode Realties. Michael stalks her throughout the day, and she notices, but her friends Annie and Linda dismiss her concerns. Loomis arrives at Haddonfield in search for Michael and finds Judith's tombstone missing from the local cemetery. He meets with Annie's father, Sheriff Brackett, and they both investigate Michael's house, where Loomis tells Sheriff Brackett of the danger that Michael poses. Brackett is doubtful of Michael's danger, but he uh, goes to patrol the streets anyway, while Loomis waits at the house, expecting Michael to return. Uh, later that night, Lori's baby sits uh, Tommy Doyle, while Anne babysits uh, Lindsay Wallace uh, across the street. Unaware that Michael has followed them, Michael has also uh, kills the Wallace's dog when Annie's boyfriend, Paul, calls her to come to pick him and pick him up. She takes Lindsay over to Doyle's, to, to, to Doyle's house to spend the night with Lori and Tommy. Before Annie can leave, Michael, who hid in the back seat of her car, strangles her and... St- and slits her throat. Soon after, Linda and her boyfriend, Bob Sims, arrive at the Wallace's house. After having sex, Bob goes downstairs to get a beer for Linda and Michael stabs him to death. Or just stabs him. Just stab, not stabs. Um, Michael then poses poses as Bob in a ghost costume and confronts uh, Linda, who teases him to no effect. Annoyed, Linda calls Lori, but Michael strangles her to death with the telephone cord just as Lori picks up. Meanwhile, Loomis discovers the stolen car and begins searching the streets. <clears throat> yeah, well, uh, I know we're just kind of reading the plot as it is, but we have mid-movie notes that we'll talk yeah. about when we get there. Some of them are funny, some uh, of them sus- are serious. Yeah. Suspicious, Lori goes over to the Wallace house and finds the bodies of Annie, Bob, and Linda, as well as Judith's headstone in the upstairs bedroom. Lori cowers in the hallway while Michael suddenly appears and attacks her, causing her to fall backwards onto the staircase. Ouch. Lori narrowly escapes and flees back to the Doyle home, where she gets Tommy to wake up and let her in. Michael gets in and attacks her again, but she keeps him at bay by stabbing him with a knitting needle, a coat hanger, and his own knife, temporarily knocking him out each time. Uh, he then sen- She then sends Tommy and Lindsay to go to the neighbor's house down the street and call the police. Loomis sees Tommy and Lynn and Lindsay running from their house and goes to investigate, finding Michael and Lori fighting upstairs. During the fight, Lori rips Michael's mask off, making him um, hesitate and put it back on. Loomis shoots Michael six times, knocking him off the balcony, agreeing with Lori that Michael is the boogeyman. Loomis walks to the balcony and looks down to see if Michael has vanished. No, he has looks down to see that Michael has vanished, sorry. Unsurprised, he stares off into the night as Lori begins to sob. Michael's breathing is, is heard during a, mon, a montage of locations he had recently been, indicating he could be anywhere. Oh my god. <laughs> That's a lot of heavy breathing. So, that was the plot of Halloween numero uno. Get on to our mid-movie notes. I will start. I got fucking a ton of them, and they're all pretty quick. So, my first mid-movie note is... Oh, boobies! (laughs) 
Because uh, when Michael is young, uh, we see his sister's boobies at some point when they're having uh, sex in the house. No, no, no. So it was, it, like, it was after the sex. It was after the sex? Oh, you know, yeah. We, Michael doesn't see them having sex. I mean, we see her uh, changing. Yes. Yeah, and then we see her boobies. And then my next note is they just show you what kid Michael looks like with a question mark. Again, I didn't know... Um, that you actually got to see what Michael Myers looks like. And then further down the line, obviously they show him as an adult. But I thought he had elephantitis of the face. And that's why that's what, uh, he, he wore the mask. That's what a 2007-2009 kind of like installed Yeah, that's in the us. Rob Zombie one. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Because even though I didn't see those ones, I just heard about it. So I was like, oh, Michael wears the mask because well, he's ugly. Well, well see, if, you, if we do remember when, when the mask does get taken off, he does have a fucked up face. It's not that fucked up. It's just fucked up from, like, getting attacked. True, and that's pretty true. Yeah. Uh, my next note is Dr. Loomis is a straight-up champ. He's also a misogynistic asshole, but we don't like to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> I go, uh, Mike just stole a car. Quote, he's been locked up for at least 15 years, unquote. But how does he know how to drive a car? Remember, he, 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 he's probably been transported back and forth, so he's probably been paying attention every now and then. That just seems a little far fetched. Hey, to I, me, I'm trying okay. to. I'm trying to give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I said um, Haddonfield would be a nice place to live if there wasn't a serial killer who showed up every other Halloween to murder you. And then I went, "Oh wait, it's real." And then I found out that it was actually New Jersey, not Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> My next note is: This is so '70s. It hurts just seeing how they talked and seeing all the. Uh, like the designs or their uh, outfits and stuff, I was like, "Oh my god, this is just the seventies." Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> my next note. So he chooses Lori because she drops keys off at his house. We well, we find out yeah, later why? the real reason, but in this movie, it's just because he sees her. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Next note. Linda is an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's the worst character in the film. Like she's just like, let's go have sex. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think I brought up uh, either Linda or Anne were just wanted dick the entire time. Yeah, I think they all wanted dick except for Lori. Lori was like, I need to study, and everyone's like, that's not dick though. <laughs> uh, my next one, Michael is the original Homer Bush meme. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> like when Michael fucking peeks out from behind the bushes and then Lori looks back and he goes back behind it I'm like yo he's the Homer Bush meme I wanted to see him walk out of the bushes but he didn't uh we um, really hope for that why does the sheriff give Lori the fuck me eyes I didn't know that that was her friend's dad until after he was reintroduced okay so either <laughs> either those are legit fuck me eyes or that is just his character's fuck me eyes it's possible but like well, when I saw the sheriff show up, I'm like, he, why is he trying to flirt with Lori? She's a high schooler. Fuck off, dude. And then I found out that um, he just has a decent relationship with her because she's friends with her his daughter. But it's still creepy, like, oh. though. It's still a little creepy. But I was like, oh, it makes a little bit more sense. And then um, here's my next note. For some reason, I thought Michael had elephantitis of the face. Might be because of the reboots. Yeah. It was because of the reboots. My next one, weed. <laughs> when Annie picks up Lori, she uh, they're smoking weed in the car, and they're like, "Oh, I'm gonna put the cigarette away. It's Dad." And that's when we get the store uh, the reveal that Michael took a mask, a knife, and some rope. I think he got the rope to attach to the tow truck to rip out the gravestone. That could be but, it. No, but no, but I know. I think that that's just brute strength. Yeah, I think he just fucking yeeted it. 
And remember, he, he kept that with him the entire time. Yeah, he had it with him in the house, and then he brought it over uh, and put it on Annie's bed. Um, next one. Oh, her dad is the cop. Don't fuck your daughter's friends. <laughs> Talking about Annie. Uh, next one. Is Billy Loomis's name a reference to Dr. Loomis from Halloween? Yes, it is. Yep. Next note. Michael drives so much. Is gas free? <laughs> he drives around so much in that one car. And it's like, dude, gas isn't free. What are you talking about? Well, gas was cheap in the 70s. Yeah, but still. Michael had no money. He could be stealing money. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you could just easily pump it and leave. Um, he'd be stalking like a true simp. Fuck. <laughs> you see, everywhere uh, Lori is, he shows up, and he's just, like, fucking, like, sitting there fucking looking at her, and I'm like, oh, shit, simping made easy back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next up, he eats dogs? Like, dude, at least get some bread. That was, a, 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 when I saw that, I was sort of laughing with, with, with your note. Yeah, because, like, um, the, the, we see the dead dog, and the sheriff goes, he must have got hungry. I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, did he eat it, or did he just kill it? What do you mean he got hungry? <laughs> and that's when I was like, he should have at least got bread. Like, he should have stole a mask, a knife, a rope, and bread. <laughs> but nah. And then I went, Annie, the dog is trying to save you. Bruh, you about to die. <laughs> the other dog, the one that he didn't eat. Uh, was barking at Michael from, like, behind the wall or something, and then Annie was like, shut up, dog, yeah. he doesn't like me. I'm like, you're, you're gonna die, you fucking idiot. Uh, next up, stalking with some gratuitous booty shots. Gotta love the old days. Man, like, for, for some reason, just, like, uh, I don't know why, but, like, what is it with, like, the 70s and 80s horror films that had just, like, actually, like, like uh, class in in the nudity? It's because back in the day, nudity was classy. Okay. Now it's not. It, it's basically just that. It's a cultural thing. Yeah, but like I'm saying, I I, I love the I, I just love how it's not like all it's in tasteful. your face. Yeah, it's tasteful. Yeah. Which is good. My carpenter's always been pretty tasteful, even if it's not booty shots or titties. It's just he has tasteful uh, directing. Yes. And then my next one is Annie is too horny to live. Michael will make short work of her. No, people be having too much sexy. I guess I miswrote sex. This movie is horny, but also an allegory for themes in such for premarital sex, according to notes slash research. Yeah. And then I won't sex equals dead. Bob got fucked twice. <laughs> Bob got fucked twice. <laughs> Lori finally finds dead friends. This is when she's finally... Uh, someone sees, I think Tommy sees the boogeyman carrying Anne's body around the that house. That was so funny. And then she's like, the boogeyman, the He's boogeyman, like, uh, check on Annie. Huh. Oh, when I was seeing that, I was like, yo, Michael's fucking idiot. Um, Michael is a goddamn machine, and I hear that's a running theme. Like, he just does not stop. He doesn't hunt. I said, Lori has some iconic screams. Yep. Uh, Loomis shoots the crap out of this dude. We know he isn't dead, but, like, how is he alive? <laughs> and the music. And then I went, theme music. ba na 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 Beep, beep, beep. Uh, Loomis needs a vibe check, like, ASAP. And then I said, Michael's breathing is truly spelled poorly. 
uh, the most unsettling thing about the films besides his power to not die for 11 films. And I said, I'm aware that some of them are reboots, but still. Okay, so that was... So those were all me mid-movie notes. Here are, here are my movie notes. Um, so this was the opening scene where we see uh, uh, Michael's sister <laughs> and her boyfriend have sex. Though That sex was faster than my enjoyment of life for the most part. <laughs> I'm not wrong. Well, we don't see the whole thing. I assume we just see the end. No, no, see, no. Could we see we them see go this, upstairs? Yeah. Then we see Michael walk in. When Michael walks in, he's already leaving. Oh, wait. No, you're right. <laughs> he he hops on and goes, nut, and then leaves. And then, okay, Tover. Okay, Tover. They spelled October wrong in this. Did they? And, and one of the beginning films, when it says October, it's both a K instead of a C. <laughs> all right. Um, Playtime in the yard with the boys. That's when they, that's when we see all of them escape out the, out the mental hospital. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great fucking note. <laughs> Playtime in the yard with the boys. Now, so listen, I saw that. I sort of like, yo, <laughs> it's the, fucking Halloween is for the boys. <laughs> um, th- this is a fun thing that I know. So, me being um, of course, a very film centric person. Uh, when, when Michael breaks the glass of, of the window with the nurse in it, you, you see a wrench in his hand when he swings <laughs> really? down to, to break that. the window. I guess he was supposed to do it with his hand cause he's supposed to be that strong, yeah. but then it's a wrench or just, does he just have a wrench? Uh, no, no, it was like, it was like placed like palm in his hand to kind of like s- swing it open uh, to, to, to break it open. So either it was supposed to be for the... his brute strength or they did it for... So he, or or he, it's a weapon that he got from somewhere. Yeah. Um, the theme is so amazing, always sends chills up my spines. Every time I hear... It's a good one. The, like, every time, just that, just the pianos, it's amazing. Um, leaving a key under the mat. Um, <laughs> uh, the days when a neighborhood was trustworthy. Dude, everyone leaves their fucking back doors unlocked. I think I write that in my notes for the second film, but I'm like, everyone just needs to lock their doors, and Michael will not kill them. Okay, this also is a personal opinion of mine. Uh, early Jamie Lee, early Jamie Lee Curtis was a fucking smoke show. Yeah, we talked about that before. She was pretty good looking, but not my type. Michael stalking a kid on the playground of a school. Uh, 1978. What were you? <laughs> Uh, the Raggedy Ann doll in the background of Lori's bedroom is another tick for the 70s list. Um, what's with all them in these big-ass pumpkins? Both Tommy... Yeah, that kid, Tommy Doyle's carrying that fucking big-ass pumpkin around. For some reason, I thought I thought that the actor who played Tommy was Elijah Wood because it had, like, the same eyes as him. Nah, I was like, not, uh... Some other kid. Um, the Hacksaw story is the biggest cliffhanger in cinema history. So when the, I guess the groundskeeper of the cemetery was talking to Loomis and he, he was bringing up a hacksaw story and we never hear the end of it. <laughs> Mr. Riddle. I think that was like a teacher's name, I guess, or someone's fucking name. He just wrote Mr. Riddle. Question mark. I know. It's like, huh? Um, a mom who doesn't let their kids read comic books is a bad mom. That's stupid. <laughs> Comics help you learn to read. Um, homegirl Anne wants dick so bad. <laughs> oh, so now she now, does though. Now this one, um, 
home dude in the aviator glasses wanted to rip off Lindsay's clothes. He mentioned that in the fucking car. Um, Bob went when he when he's gonna fuck other other chick, and he he mentioned ripping off Lindsay's clothes. Lindsay's the fucking child. I don't remember that, but Jesus Christ, and, okay. And I, and I have to do this in in the way it says it. 1970, where molestation was just a joke. <laughs> I, I, I heard that. So I was, was pedophilia. Like, fuck. That's a child. Pedophilia. It's just a joke. Ba, 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 ba. And th- th- that was all that I wrote down <laughs> on my notes. Nice, nice, a nice. Uh, the reviews. So, those were our mid movie notes and the plot. So, now we're moving on to our reviews. Zach, you're going to read the good one because you gave it. Slightly more than me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll turn it off. So, with, uh, on the review, um, aggression website, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, Halloween holds a 96 approval rating based on 72 critics with an average of um, 8.63. I guess on Metacritic. That's that. that, that yeah. Mean? All right. Uh, the good review, Ed Travis of Hollywood Jesus. Uh, fresh. Aside from the ideas presented by the movie, Carpenter and his team have also crafted a visually rich and well-placed thriller that provided the framework for the for all the future slasher films. Hell yeah. And when I found it was written by uh, someone from Hollywood Jesus, I was like, gotta add this to the docket. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. Uh, so here's the bad review, and it's not even that bad. Uh, Gary Arnold of the Washington Post uh, rated it as rotten, but we don't know the exact score. So it could have been like a 64, which is technically rotten. Um... Since there is precious little character or plot development to pass the time between stalking sequences, one tends to wish the killer would get on with it. Which, I guess that's a little true. Like, there's not really a lot of development that happens between any of the characters because most of them die. Yeah. The only one who gets real development is Lori, and that's because she just learns to unleash her sexual frustrations, I guess. I don't know. So. Right. So that's the bad review. But that's not even that bad. They were just like, we needed more. And I was like, yeah, I can see that. You needed more backstory, but it's a 78 horror movie. Fucking let it go. All right, Hunter. When we did get more backstory, like Halloween 2, it was not well received. Hunter, what did you give this film now? So I gave it 9. This dude totally ate a dog out of 10. I I gave it 10. Everyone's horny on Maine out of 10. (laughs) Yeah, so we genuinely liked this film. I thought it was really good. My first time seeing it. God damn, was it good. Is it a little slow? Yeah. Is it a little fucking old? Yeah. But it's good. I, it's also I, I, awesome. I love that I, I made us have like just random quotes for blank out of blanks. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. I, originally, I just had like 6 out of 10, and then you were like, let's make it funny. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I like it. Horny on Maine. Everyone's horny on Maine. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll kick us out with the outro. And... Then we'll end this episode, and we'll get right into our next uh, entry. Woo-woo! Stay tuned for tomorrow for our secret but not-so-secret, if you've been paying attention, episode. Thank you all for listening, guys. You can follow us on Instagram, at BoxOfficeLosers, and on Twitter, at at BoxLosers. We will never get that name. I don't know how we can get it, but I'll try. Um, Hopes and prayers. Pretty much just follow mainly the Instagram. I'm trying to use the Twitter as much as possible, but... I, I like using my, my personal Twitter more because yeah. I have... I'm also not a big social media guy. Like, even though I run the Instagram most of the time, I'm not really a huge social media guy. I'm, I'm more of, like, um, my own person. Like, I, hence why when I um, post stuff about the podcast on my personal Twitter, I have more followers, more people who would see it versus 
our our box yeah, office one. Yeah, supposed to post it on everything, but it is what it is. Like I like my personal Instagram hasn't had a post since like maybe February for Valentine's Day. Mine hasn't had the post since the first episode. That, I don't know. Um. Yeah, but. You don't use Instagram that much. But then the the movie podcast has like 50 posts on it already. I'm trying to post at least every day, even if I can't, you know, remember to do that. Yeah, so just um follow us on there for up-to-date news. Maybe, uh, mainly follow uh, the Instagram because we just drop the artwork and upcoming things that we try to plan. Mm-hmm. Don't forget to subscribe on both YouTube and Apple Podcasts. That helps us get it up in the ratings. We have a review on wherever you're listening to this. Google. Apple, um, Podbean, Break Beaker, uh, Anchor, wherever. Radio Public. Yeah. That's got one. And share with all your friends because, hey, it helps us out. We want to at least we, – we're waiting for that one film to put us over the top, over the top in, that, in that one area. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can follow me at Scruffy Mooseman yes. on Instagram and Twitter as well as uh, TikTok, I think. I don't know, man. I, I haven't posted a TikTok in a while. But uh, you can send me some hot memes on TikTok, and I fucking love those things. Uh, you can. I was so against TikTok for the longest time, and then I finally just said fuck it and made an account, and now I am on it all the time, and I hate myself. You can follow me uh, at DarkShadowsAke on Instagram, on on Twitter, and on TikTok. I haven't posted on TikTok since the beginning of COVID. But send memes. Yeah, send memes. <laughs> um, I might try to do some stuff once we. Hey, once we're able to do this podcast in person, there definitely will be some funny tiktok memes made hopefully um yeah yeah so thank you all for listening guys have a very happy and safe halloween if you are trick-or-treating um good luck remember just like hey uh if you're on a if you're a parent watching watching this uh slightly disinfect the candy before your kids open it it's all i can say and get a snickers for me yeah all right guys peace peace